Welcome to episode 72 of the Rich Roll Podcast with Dr. Frank Lipman. The Rich Roll Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. I'm Rich Roll. I'm your host. This is the Rich Roll Podcast. Welcome back. If you're tuning in again, if you're new, welcome to the show. Thanks for stopping by. There's a lot of podcasts out there. I realize that you have many choices at your disposal, and uh, I appreciate you taking a chance on me. So what do we do here? Well, each week I bring to you the best, the brightest, the most forward-thinking, paradigm-busting minds in health, wellness, fitness, diet, nutrition, athletics, entrepreneurism, creativity, spirituality, yoga, meditation, you name it. We cast a wide net. Uh, Basically... I like to uh, interview people that are interesting to me, that are leading amazing lives and are of service to other people, helping other people to improve their condition. Uh, And the idea is to provide you with a ton of information so that you can take what resonates with you, incorporate it into your life, and unlock and unleash your best, most authentic self. That is my simple goal here. Uh, This week, I'm in New York been having a blast. Uh, I came out here for a corporate speaking gig. That's what brought me out here. Um, but took the opportunity to stay a couple days longer and sit down with a bunch of interesting people and bang out some podcast guests. So I'm really excited to, uh, to be able to share with you over the next couple of weeks some of the amazing conversations uh, that I've had with uh, new guests, new people. It's awesome. It's been really cool, and it's been fun to be here. I always love coming to New York City. Uh, the energy, the vitality, you just can't get it anywhere else, and it, it definitely is like a reboot for my system. It recharges me and gives me a sense of, uh, I don't know, renewal, excitement, and it's been cool. we got a big snowstorm here. I've been able to eat at a bunch of awesome restaurants, plant-based restaurants, Candle 79, always my favorite, uh, Angelica Kitchen I'm going to tonight. Cafe Blossom, uh, what else? Juice Press, of course. It's amazing to see how many healthy restaurants are cropping up all over the place, all over New York City. Uh, essentially, there's a cold-pressed juice place almost on almost every corner here, uh, which was not the case uh, not too many years ago. So I love it. I'm here with Tyler, uh, my podcast producer, my son, who's been helping me out, and he actually even got to play a music gig at sidewalk cafe on the lower east side on monday night they have a legendary uh open mic night it has uh launched many a musical career it's a pretty cool room and tyler was able to step in and play a couple songs before a live audience in his first trip to new york which was really super cool so thanks mishka former podcast guest uh, mishka shibali for helping hook that up it was awesome and uh, we've been having a great time um And one of the reasons we've been having such a good time is uh, I got to sit down with Dr. Frank Lippman, today's guest on the show. So who is Frank Lippman? Well, if you're in New York, you've probably heard of him. He gets a lot of press out here. There was recently a profile on him in the New York Times. I'll put a link up to to that in the show notes. But uh, he is quite a prominent uh, wellness warrior out here. Uh, an internationally renowned doctor in the field of integrative medicine. So what is integrative medicine? Well, basically, that is a merging of East and West. Uh, he He is trained in Western medicine practices. He is a doctor. He's an MD. Um, but 
what makes him unique and special is the way that he uh, has merged his practice uh, by uh, integrating uh, techniques from more Eastern practices, I guess you could say. Things like meditation, acupuncture, 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 uh, homeotherapy, things like that, that we talk about today. Um, and he's been doing this for about 20 years. Uh, a couple of years ago, I think 2010, he opened up his wellness center, which is called 1111. It's in the Flatiron District of New York. Um, but he's been practicing uh, this particular sort of custom customized <laughs> brand of medicine for like 20 years. I mean, long before it was hip and cool and, and sort of a zeitgeist thing. And, uh, and he's helped thousands of people reclaim their vitality and improve their lives over the years. His focus is on sustainable wellness, which I love. I'm all about that. I'm not about the quick fix or shedding five pounds or, you know, kind of the, I don't know, the biohack or the life hack. Like I'm looking at, at it from a perspective of permanent lifestyle alteration to kind of set you on a new trajectory for a healthier life. And, and, you know, he shares that perspective. He offers his patients this customizable, customizable blend of Western medicine, again, with like acupuncture, nutritional counseling, uh, vitamins and supplements, which he believes in herbs, relaxation techniques, physical therapy, body work. I mean, who doesn't love body work, right? Uh, and, and what's cool is when you go to his office, it's not like stepping into a doctor's office. It's, it's more like stepping into, I don't know, a meditation temple or a Kundalini yoga studio, you know, the elevator opens and you're in this, um, suite with, you know, beautiful hardwood floors and it has this very warm, inviting feeling to it. And you're immediately greeted by the office dog coconut. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm telling you, it's unlike any other doctor's office that I've ever been in. And this is what doctor's offices should be like. They should make the patients feel warm and at home and, you know, feel like they're going to be taken care of, that they're going to be listened to and that they're going to be in good hands. And in many ways, you know, Frank really is a doctor for the modern age, you know, the internet age. I mean, this is, he, you know, he gave a Ted talk. He blogs for the Huffington post. He writes on his own blog. He makes videos, you know, he has his own sort of, uh, you know, personal brand behind what he does, but he's very interested in connecting with people in different ways outside of, you know, office hours. And that's what I love about him. He's super passionate about his message and he's really busy so it was an honor uh, and a privilege to sit down with a guy. I mean, this is a guy who's, you know, has patients like, you know, Gwyneth Paltrow and Maggie Gyllenhaal and Peter Sarsgaard. And like, this is, you know, this is a guy who, who doesn't have a lot of free time. And so it was, it was amazing to be able to grab him and get a quiet moment with him um, to talk with him. So uh, our conversation is amazing, inspiring. Uh, we talk about all these subjects uh, over the course of, I don't know, hour and 15 minutes or whatever it is. Um, Frank has also written two books, which I think you should check out. His first one's called Revive, Stop Feeling Spent and Start Living Again. And the second one is called Total Renewal, Seven Key Steps to Resilience, Vitality, and Long-Term Health. Uh, <laughs> the funny thing was too, when our interview was over, uh, he went to his bookshelf and he grabbed uh, a handful of CDs and handed them to Tyler. 
So basically every year he puts together like a mixtape and he makes a CD out of it and he gives it to his friends and his patients. And, and I'm going to share the artwork for these CDs on the blog. So check it out there, but they're hilarious. They're like, I'll just read you a few of these. One's called Lipmo's Upbeat Mix for 2011. Dance locally, listen globally. Lipmo's Boogaloo Upbeat Mix 2010, 19 International Booty Shakers. Like he's got these crazy artwork on these <laughs> on these insane mixtape CDs that he gives out. And I'm I'm thinking like what doctor does that? Like that's awesome. So cool. Anyway, um I love talking to him and uh and I hope that you uh, enjoy our conversation. Uh, if you want to check out his books, and also uh, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do that, other than telling a friend, which is first and foremost in this free content, which will always be free, spread the word, tell a friend, uh, check out the Amazon banner ad uh, at richroll.com. If you click on that when you're going to buy something on Amazon, go to, go to that first, click that, get whatever you're going to get on Amazon does not cost you a penny extra and Amazon kicks us a little bit of loose change our way, which uh, helps pay the bills for the podcast. So we appreciate everybody who's been doing that. Uh, and it was pointed out to me, um, that some people might be concerned about privacy. Uh, am I able to see what your purchases are? And no, I'm not. I have no idea what you guys are buying. Uh, I don't have, uh, access to that kind of information. Um, all I know is I get, uh, there's a number and, uh, they wire me a little bit of money every month and that's it. So, uh, if you're concerned about me, uh, being, having any knowledge about what your Amazon purchases are, when you use the Amazon banner ad, I can put your mind at ease about that. Um, there's nothing to be concerned there for. Uh, so anyway, yes, Amazon banner ad. Thanks so much for you guys that have been using it. Uh, we have a donate button at richroll.com for people that want to go the extra mile and show their support. Again, the show's free. Uh, you're not obligated to do that. That's only if uh, it feels right to you. But we appreciate everybody who has uh, who has done that. You can throw us a, a little loose change on a one-time basis, weekly, monthly, you know, whatever you want. But anyway, thank you guys, everybody who's been doing that. And uh, again, it's been a great week in New York. I'm going to be bringing tons of amazing interviews to you guys over the next couple of weeks, which is feels good having a little fresh air on the podcast. And I wanted to thank everybody who uh, gave such great feedback on last week's episode with Adam Scully power. That was definitely a tearjerker, uh, a very inspirational story. And um, I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. Uh, so looking to uh, share more kind of every man stories like Adam's uh, coming up over the podcast, because those seem to really hit a chord and people enjoy that. So anyway, without further ado, you guys, let's get into the interview. Ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Frank Lipman. We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break a performance. And I can tell you, after spending two full days meeting with the apparel wizards at On Labs in Zurich, that On is innovating in this space like no other with next-gen premium fabrics and just this heightened level of sophistication and precision and testing and development and intentionality previously unheard of that puts them just miles beyond the competition. 
I've been rocking Ons high-performance running apparel, including the long tees, the weather jackets, even the climate jacket, all super lightweight, tailor fit, built to move, and just gorgeous to get you out and get it done in fleet foot comfort, no matter the weather. I'm super proud to be a brand partner with this impressive team. From increasing product sustainability to improved energy return and impact protection, truly Swiss innovation at its finest. To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut-eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep inevitably is going to be impacted. So it's important to invest in a quality mattress, one that's insanely comfortable, that's organic, sustainably made, and that, my friends, is a birch mattress. Fair Trade and Rainforest Alliance certified with the finest quality organic natural materials like organic fair trade cotton. Birch mattresses are made with none of the toxic chemicals and off-gassing produced by most major brands. Kind of important not to be breathing that for a third of your life, I'd say. Plus, it's super luxurious. I've been sleeping on Birch for about five years, and I'd say it's the perfect ratio of soft to supportive. And the craftsmanship is just next level. I've got one in every room of my house. I love it. Pretty sure you will too. And right now, Birch is giving 20% off all mattresses and two free EcoRest pillows at birchliving.com slash richroll. That's 20% off and two free EcoRest pillows. Sleep better with Birch. We're brought to you today by recovery.com. I've been in recovery for a long time. It's not hyperbolic to say that I owe everything good in my life to sobriety. And it all began with treatment and experience that I had that quite literally saved my life. And in the many years since, I've in turn helped many suffering addicts and their loved ones find treatment. And with that, I know all too well just how confusing and how overwhelming and how challenging it can be to find the right place and the right level of care, especially because unfortunately, not all treatment resources adhere to ethical practices. It's a real problem, a problem I'm now happy and proud to share has been solved by the people at recovery.com who created an online support portal designed to guide, to support and empower you to find the ideal level of care tailored to your personal needs. They've partnered with the best global behavioral health providers to cover the full spectrum of behavioral health disorders, including substance use disorders, depression, anxiety, eating disorders, gambling addictions, and more. Navigating their site is simple. Search by insurance coverage, location, treatment type, you name it. Plus, you can read reviews from former patients to help you decide. Whether you're a busy exec, a parent of a struggling teen, or battling addiction yourself, I feel you. I empathize with you. I really do. And they have treatment options for you. Life in recovery is wonderful, and recovery.com is your partner in starting that journey. When you or a loved one need help, go to recovery.com and take the first step towards recovery. 
To find the best treatment option for you or a loved one, again, go to recovery.com. There's a certain poetry in the the sort of ethos behind your clinic and this idea that uh, before there can be rebirth or renewal, there must be destruction. Yes. And this sort of is how you came up with the name 1111 for your center. Well, maybe I'll burst your bubble straight away. I came up with the name because at the time I was a little bit obsessed with this whole 1111 this was 1991, and the, the idea that there'd be a, ch- a shift in consciousness. Mm-hmm. Um, I got caught up in this whole 1111, the shift in consciousness, and that's how the name came about. It was sort of a sort of spur-of-the-moment thing. Right, but it's Mayan in yeah, origin, so, exactly, right? Which yes. means uh, yeah, doom yeah. before re- the rebirth. Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, yeah, yeah. it is. Absolutely, uh-huh. yes. It's sort of like uh, yes, absolutely, yes. The, the Hindu goddess Kali, of right. the, the goddess of destruction, before there can be a rebirth. Okay, right. Must, I never, I've never thought of it that way. We must tear it down right. first and, and create the foundation. Well, thank you. Okay, it's the first time I've seen it in that perspective. But yeah, <laughs> that's true. Uh-huh. That's exactly the way I feel about the medical system. So, uh, yeah, so tell me a little bit about what you do here. So, um, I am a, a trained in Western medicine. I'm a, mm-hmm. a doctor. I was a doctor anyway in a past life. And uh, what I realized early on is in, in Western medicine, you know, we, we're really great at treating acute uh, medical emergencies, acute surgical emergencies, um, if someone's acutely ill. And that's the way we get trained at medical school. You get mm-hmm. trained to treat heart attacks and take out appendices and treat acute, acute pneumonia. But um, when I went into practice after my training, people started coming to me with uh, symptoms that they were feeling tired and they couldn't poop and um, mm-hmm. their digestion was off and um, they were stressed out. And I had no tools in Western medicine to help these people. Mm-hmm. So uh, any doctor, if they're really honest with themselves, realizes early on that we don't really have any tools to help most of the problems that people come to them with. Right. It's more diagnose and prescribe if there's something that you can... Yeah. I mean, our tools are are medicine or surgery. It's drugs or surgery. We don't really have anything else. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, I grew up in in South Africa and um, the tribe that I was moving with, my friends and the people I was friendly with, we were doing a, quite a bit of drugs in those days. You know, mm-hmm. we, we got the the 60s in the 70s in South Africa. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, I saw Waiting for Sugar Man. Right. Okay, yeah. so Sugar was my closest friend growing up. Oh, is that right? Right. So, right. so, so Sugar, who was my closest friend, you know, we, we were, I think maybe smoking a lot of pot may have opened me up, and, yeah. and these type of people were interested in alternatives. So uh, from an early on, I sort of started thinking there must be other ways. Mm-hmm. But this uh, is before you even went to medical school? No, this is uh, during and after medical school. This is uh-huh. in the late 70s. Gotcha. And, um, in South Africa. In South Africa. And uh, in, in the practice that I worked with in South Africa, um, he, uh, it was a general practice. Uh, this is after my training. And the doctor used to see all the lefties and all the artists. Mm-hmm. And these people were coming into the office and um, they were telling me, or well, they went to the homeopath and he gave me this and my stomach is better. Or they went to the acupuncturist and there was one acupuncturist in Johannesburg and their back was better. 
And I started thinking to myself that this is interesting. These are problems that I can't help. And these people are going to these quacks and they're getting better. Mm-hmm. And I better start checking it out. And that was sort of my first real exposure. I mean, I had been exposed to traditional African medicine mm-hmm. and also noticed that sometimes that helped. So my mind started was being you know, exploded open by all these factors, you know, the drugs that we were doing and the exposure I had to these alternatives. So it was sort of just common sense for me to start exploring these things. So this is mm-hmm. late 70s, uh, 1980. Um, I started studying homeopathy because that there was a strong homeopathic tradition in South Africa at the mm. time, uh, you know, because it was an English colony. In, in England, homeopathy was quite big, and we got that tradition. So I started studying homeopathy and started doing Tai Chi. And um, in 1983, uh, my wife and I decided we just don't want to live under apartheid anymore, mm-hmm. and we decided to leave. And the doctor I was working with gave me a gift to go, and it was the, the Barefoot Doctor's Manual, which mm. is this interesting book on on what the Chinese did uh, in the rural areas. They used to train these barefoot doctors to go and treat them there. And mm-hmm. he gave me this book. He said, go study acupuncture, mm. which was meaningless to me at the time. But um, And this is relatively, ra- I mean, it's more than progressive at the time. Yeah, and at the time. It's not happening, a, you know, like no. it is to the extent that it is oh, now. No, no, this is like 30-odd years ago. Yeah, right. this was pretty radical at the time. But for me, I was on such a journey um, y- I knew it was right, so it, it, it wasn't even a, a question. It, it, it was the same thing. I always give this uh, this comparison. Growing up in South Africa, when you grow up in South Africa during apartheid, you know it's a rotten system and you know it's wrong. Um, and you're looking around and everyone's sort of living like normally as if nothing's happening. And I felt exactly the same way about the medical system, that mm-hmm. it was so obvious there's got to be a better way. And there obviously is a better way because these people were getting better but no one's acknowledging it. Mm-hmm. So it was in a way easier for me because I knew apartheid was wrong and I knew that the Western medical model was was limited as well. So, it was But a, coming to the United States, did you have an expectation that you would be welcomed for this more progressive uh, you know, ideas about treating patients? Or Well, no. Well, what happened was when I came to the United States, I got a job in the South Bronx mm-hmm. because they sponsored me for a green card. And, I, and everyone said, well, you've got to do internal medicine, don't do family medicine. So I got this job. They sponsored me for a green card. And here I'm in this residency doing something that I wasn't particularly interested in. And after a week or two, I came home and I said to my wife, I don't know if I can be a doctor here. Because even the part of Western medicine that I enjoyed in South Africa, taking a good history, examining a patient, really getting to know a patient, the the relationship was important. Because in South Africa, we couldn't do all these expensive tests. Mm -hmm. And uh, here I come to the States and um, in the residency program, you had to um, you take a quick history, you draw the bloods, you go study um, what the story is, and you look at the results, and you present it the next day to the professor. Mm-hmm. And there was nothing about taking a good history, spending time with the patient. I said to, to my wife, you know, the things that I actually enjoy with patients, developing relationships with people... It's just not happening. I don't mm-hmm. want to be a doctor here. Right. It's just a numbers game. You got to churn through so many people. Yeah. And right? there's so. <clears throat> and some hard cases, I would imagine, in the Bronx, a the, lot of addiction yeah, cases. Were, like, the, yeah. In, in those yeah. days, that, that was uh, crack and heroin were, were right. epidemic. So you're seeing really 
sick people. And um, I'd heard about this acupuncture clinic, was, which was actually attached to the hospital where they did drug detox. And um, I'd actually been taken there on a tour. When I first came to the hospital, there was a Hispanic woman said, you know, we got talking, we got friendly. And she said, well, let me take you on a tour of the South Bronx to places you as a white boy are never going to see. And she took me on this little tour of this burnt-out area, and one of the places we stopped was this acupuncture clinic. And um, it was pretty mind-blowing. So um, I thought, okay. And you're remembering the words of your mentor back in South Africa. Exactly. So everything, you know, everything was falling into place. So I walk over, you know, one day after a couple of weeks during my residency, and I walk into this burnt-out building again, and, I, and you walk into this building and you see about 40 or 50 heroin addicts sitting quietly mm. with needles in their ears. And I went, whew, this is really interesting. These are the same patients that are pulling out IVs in the war. They were really difficult to deal with. Mm-hmm. And here they're sitting really quietly. Um, so I thought, I've got, to exp- I've got to check this out. So I went and I spoke to the guy who ran the clinic, Mike Smith. I said, Mike, you know... This is a story. I'm from South Africa, yada, yada. And he was intrigued that I was from South Africa because he wanted to know more about South Africa. Mm-hmm. And we got sort of talking. And he, and he said to me, look, you can come hang out here whenever you want. You know, you you know, you know, can come learn acupuncture. I know you're doing your residency, but, you know, feel free to come here. And I started going there more and more often. Mm-hmm. So I started living these two lives. One at the hospital where I was seeing these acutely ill patients and Western medicine was fantastic. And then at the other place, I was seeing these acupuncture patients and patients were coming in with different problems. Mm-hmm. And you sort of could see, it was pretty easy to see that the one worked really well for the one type of problem and the other worked really well mm-hmm. for the other type of problem. And it was obvious to me that the best medicine would be a combination of right. the two. Mm-hmm. If someone's really sick, if they need surgery, if they need acute intervention, the ICU, Western medicine's great. But if they have some chronic problem or they have back pain or they're tired, the acupuncture clinic and Chinese medicine was better. Mm-hmm. So I saw early on, this is like 1984, that obviously the best medicine is going to be some type of combination of the two. Right. So this is planting the seed. And where does that lead you after your residency? So after my residency, I, I, I well, during my residency, I spent more and more time at the acupuncture clinic. And by the time I finished my residency, I'd actually got my 300 hours which I needed Uh as a doctor to practice acupuncture in New York. So I knew I wanted to do something holistic. So uh, I spent a little bit more time at the acupuncture clinic and I got a job on the Lower East Side at this very interesting um, uh, community clinic that was interested in in starting acupuncture and alternative stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, I got a job there and I started Doing some working as a doctor, but also doing acupuncture and using Chinese herbs, and also working at the acupuncture clinic where I was getting more experience with acupuncture. And at this clinic, um, he was the guy um, Paul Ramos, who's now died, was so ahead of his time. I mean, he was bringing this stuff to the Hispanic community on the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is pretty wild. Yeah. And he I mean, brought, that was a jungle back then. Yeah. yeah, and he was a very cool guy, and he sort of knew, you know, the direction, and uh, he brought me in, he brought a nutritionist in, and I got friendly with this nutritionist, Susan Luck, who sort of became like a mentor to me, and she told me about Jeff Bland. And if anyone doesn't know who Jeff Bland is, Jeff Bland's the father of functional medicine. Mm-hmm. 
So in 1988, because um, my residency, I did 84 to 87, and then I started working at Batansis in 87. And then Susan introduced me to Jeff Bland, and Jeff was going around the country in those days already, lecturing whoever would listen to him. Mm -hmm. So I sort of I met Jeff Bland in 1988, and Jeff was articulating exactly what I was feeling because here I was um, learning about Chinese medicine, and they were talking about qi and energy and and this language that just didn't make sense from a Western perspective. Right. It was a completely different language. And Jeff had put it all together. He was talking Chinese medicine, but he was talking from a physiology perspective and biochemistry. So it sort of made sense to me. It was like such an aha experience to listen to Jeff talking because he was using the philosophy of creating balance and improving function mm -hmm. of Chinese medicine, but he was talking about physiology and biochemistry mm -hmm. and everything that I'd learned in Western medicine. So there's a perfect combination of the right. two. Couching it in a vernacular that's translatable to sort of the Western logical exactly. mind and approach. So exactly. <clears throat> back at that time, you know, what was the typical case that you would see of somebody coming in to this particular clinic on the Lower East Side? And, and, you know, what would the treatment protocol be? What were the results that you were seeing? Well, what was interesting was... Um, at that stage, the AIDS epidemic was was uh, was a major mm -hmm. epidemic, and I very soon got the name um, the name in the HIV community that you could actually get acupuncture, and we started te teaching qigong, and we started doing this interesting stuff. I mean, we were all learning at the mm -hmm. time, but because um, the clinic took Medicaid, we started mm -hmm. getting a lot. Of the, the word got out that you could get on your Medicaid, you could go get acupuncture and um, herbs and nutrition therapy mm -hmm. at this Patansis Health Unit. So very quickly, I developed this huge AIDS community of patients coming to see me. Mm -hmm. So I'd say um, most of the patients were HIV patients coming with all various things. But, but I mean, I think um, somehow in that community, because they were sort of not used to getting drugs all the time, they were more open to alternative stuff. So uh, a lot of the community people were coming in and, and w w were happy not to get drugs and, you know, talk about their diet or use right. some herbs or, or some supplements. Mm -hmm. And so what kind of relief were you able to provide? Well, well, I think in the, I mean, it's hard to say. I think in the, you know, the beauty of acupuncture is most people are going to feel a difference quite soon. I think um, my practice and our practice in general in those days wasn't particularly sophisticated. We were sort of using, we were using a Western, you know, we were using Chinese medicine, but um, it was the, the way I was working there is I still, I was still thinking like a Western doctor, and instead of drugs, I'd use herbs. So instead mm -hmm. of um, something for indigestion, I'd use some herbs for it. Um, mm -hmm. So it was a different way. I wasn't, it, it hadn't been ingrained into me that the Chinese way hadn't been ingrained into me in those days to actually look for the underlying imbalance or what the underlying cause was I mean mm -hmm. I'd sort of learned that but it wasn't part of my my um, being mm -hmm. which is completely different now I mean you know the more you do it you sort of get a sense of what's really good medicine in those days I was, I was sort of practicing from a western perspective and using sort of <clears throat> herbs or something to treat the, the way I was thinking, which is unfortunately what a lot of doctors still do. I mean, I don't think until they really get it in them that um, 
it's not about um, just giving a name to something and treating the name. <clears throat> it's what's really going on underneath. Mm-hmm. And I think Jeff Bland's done a wonderful job of really training doctors to reprogram the way they think and to really look for the underlying causes. Mm-hmm. You mean in a true sort of preventative medicine, holistic sense? Yeah, I, I think it, it goes way beyond preventive. I think it's it's treating problems downstream. So, so you know, let's take an example. If, um, if uh, uh, an asthmatic patient, or uh, let's take heartburn because more people probably have heartburn. Someone comes in with heartburn. The one way of, of, of treating it is saying, okay, you got heartburn, and here's some supplements that are going to help your heartburn. So instead of taking your Nexium, you take the, the aloe vera or the deglucinated de- licorice, mm-hmm. um, which is fine. I mean, I'm not, it's better to do that than to take the drug. The other way is saying, why is that person getting heartburn? What, what, is, what is the underlying problem? Is that um, there's too much acid? There's too little acid, which can cause heartburn? Is the imbalance... Uh, of the good and the bad bacteria? Are certain foods triggering this problem? So you look at all the, the possible underlying issues that co- that you need to address mm-hmm. rather than just treating the symptoms. Mm-hmm. I mean, to fast forward to kind of, you know, taking a, a bird's eye view of wellness today in the medical profession right now, I mean, we are in this bizarre kind of mashup situation where uh, we've never been more sick as a society, right. heart disease, right. obesity, diabetes, cancer, these the statistics are insane. It's ridiculous. And yet at the same time, we've never been more fascinated or intrigued by wellness. I mean, wellness is really, you know, at the advent, it's very much a zeitgeist thing in a way that maybe you might have not even predicted, you know, 20 years no. ago when you started this. So it's a really great time for the message that you're putting out there. And yet, there seems to be this disconnect between what's actually going on with the typical American and, you know, what's going on on mindbodygreen.com or right. in, at 11.11. Well, well, I have a very – I've been thinking about this a lot more and more. As I get older, um, you, you know, you, your, your whole – in the old days, um, I was so, like, I was so passionate about, you know, you know, we're going to do this and we've got to change this and yada, yada. Now that as I get older, I start sort of trying to think about, you know, the, the perspective changes in terms of why did this actually happen? I was, in those days, I wasn't thinking of why it's happening. I just wanted, I saw it was wrong and I wanted to change it. That's taking that Chinese medicine approach to a Exa- sociological exactly. problem. And I think I, I think yeah. I know why, what happened. If you look at, Pictures of the 50s and 60s, and part of why I was attracted to America was the hippies, to be mm-hmm. quite because, as I said, we got the hippies. And that was quite an attraction, you know, why I wanted to come to America. It was, you know, Frank Zappa and you know, all, all, the, all that music and that culture sort of was quite attractive to me. But if you look at those pictures, most of those people were skinny. This mm-hmm. was the 60s and 50s. I mean, no clothes, but most people were skinny. And I've looked at pictures of people in the 50s, people were skinny. No one was talking about diet then either. And then in the 60s, we got into this thing, and I mean, I've started reading more and more about it, this whole low-fat, this this whole concept of what foods, you know, certain foods are bad and certain foods are good, and the food industry started proliferating and, and producing all this junk food. Mm-hmm. And we started getting these experts telling us to eat in a certain way. And it's only really since the 60s 
that we've had this major issue with diabetes and heart disease. And this was always around a little bit, but it's, it's much, much worse now. And if you look at even in South Africa, the same thing happened as we started mm-hmm. putting that junk food and that crappy food into the, into the local cultures. Most of the, you know, the traditional black um, uh, people, when they lived in, in the bush where they lived, they ate what was around. But when they came into the city, they started eating our white bread and, and mm-hmm. all the white man's food. And they started developing the same diseases that the white man was getting. Mm-hmm. And, if, and so I think a lot of this has to do, um, and, and it's not really, I can't say this as a conspiracy theory because I don't think it was done on purpose. But I think as um, the food industry and people started um, getting into ways of, of, of cheaper ways and more efficient ways of how we could feed the masses, mm-hmm. um, and we had these experts saying, well, low-fat is bad and, whole, and these whole grains are good, and the food industry sort of followed those principles, we created this disaster we're in. Right. And... Um, I think from my perspective, I see so many, you know, most people shouldn't be insulin resistant or carbohydrate sensitive, but most people I see are that. And, and we've become that because of all the crap in our food. Right. You just, we just completely, <clears throat> excuse me, bombarding our systems with these refined sugars, refined yeah. grains, refined yeah. flours, and all of these processed foods that just wear, they wear our system out. I mean, that's what creates that, that sort of perpetual chronic inflammation exactly. and, and uh, persistent state of eating these high sugar refined foods burns us, burns us out. It creates that insulin resistance. Absol- Is that exa- fair to say? Exactly. Yeah, That's yeah. exactly what happens. And we, our bodies just can't process that stuff. Now, some people can, um, but most people can't. And I think, you know, this, w- what I find interesting because, you know, as I said, I've been very reflective in, in seeing what's happened to the culture because I've been doing this for so long. What, what's actually happening, and which I love, is you have people on the internet like you who aren't the authorities um, actually um, uh, talking about certain ways to eat and healthier ways mm-hmm. of eating. So this information is actually coming you know, through the internet. It's not coming from above. It's not coming from authorities. It's not coming from the government. It's not coming from the doctors or the people who should know this stuff. It's coming actually from the people. Mm-hmm. And there's this huge <clears throat> movement, whether it's Mind Body Green or, or what you're doing or the Paleo movement. It's this, this, these grassroots movement coming from people who are experimenting with, who who's saying, obviously something's wrong. They're changing their diets. They're feeling much better. And they're going on the internet saying, wow, look, I did this. I feel much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without anything, there's nothing to gain. You know, that people are just sharing their experience authentically, and I love it. And that creates a credibility that you don't get when you watch an advertisement, right? So there's that combined with I think there's a real uh, appetite and thirst for sustainable, long-term solutions to diet, wellness, health, right. and and a reaction, you know, sort of this, the pendulum swinging backwards where people are saying, like, I don't want to live this any this way anymore. And, you know, I don't believe all the hype about the latest diet fad that's coming right. down the pike because I've seen it before. We all know what, where that leads. It's not working. So what is going to actually work? Right. Right. So uh, it's fascinating. I mean, mm-hmm. I love it. I mean, I really... <laughs> 
It's really fascinating for mm. me to watch this whole thing blooming. And well, it's so amazing because you've been doing this forever, and now like there couldn't be more interest in what you're doing. Right. I mean, you could not have predicted this level of no excitement way. about this something you've been passionate about your whole life. Right, and and what I yeah, it's fantastic. And what I love about it, it's actually coming from the bottom up. It's coming from the people. The doctors still don't get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's interesting that what does it take for the medical to sy- medical system to realize that there's something wrong with the system? I mean, what does it take? I, I, I don't know. I mean, so, you yeah. know, that was one of my questions that I jotted down was, what is it, you know, what does a typical conversation look like when you're speaking with a traditional Western doctor who's interested in what you're doing? I mean, is there is there sort of curiosity? Is there resistance? All the above. I think there's not enough curiosity. I mean, I still can't get over the fact when we have patients who come in, let's say, with rheumatoid arthritis and they change their diet and they get better and they go back to their doctor and they tell their doctor what they've done, that the doctor isn't even interested in finding out what he did. Mm -hmm. They'd rather just push these. I mean, there's so many toxic drugs out there. So so, um, I think... For the, I'm still amazed that there's not that much curiosity because more and more people are actually getting better by doing things out of the medical system. Mm-hmm. And you'd imagine that doctors would be peaked at least a little bit to see what the hell these patients are doing. Most aren't. There is some curiosity. There's more and more doctors leaning in this, you know, are becoming more interested. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem I do see a lot of the time is they're still stuck in a model that is is a little bit archaic, which they can't get over the fact that their model is wonderful at 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 uh, acute care or, or emergency medicine, um, and it's not working for all these chronic diseases. Right now, I think someone like Jeff Bland is doing a wonderful job at educating more and more doctors, but I think it is hard for it. It took me a long time to really get it. To mm-hmm. really get it. it took me a number of years to really understand in my being, you know, not to think the way I got brainwashed to think or to realize that that's great. You know, if someone's coming with a heart attack with chest pain, I'm not going to give them acupuncture. Right. So if you once you start getting that, then it's easy. Mm-hmm. And I think more and more doctors are starting to get that. Well, and I think it has to be, there has to be a systemic change. I mean, it has to be part of the curriculum. It has to be part of their training. I mean, you... You had the impetus to seek it out on your own. You had this, you know, wild hippie flair to you that that drew you to this. But you know, not necessarily everybody has that, and so right. if it's not presented to them, they can't be expected to have an understanding of how it fits in with everything else that they know about practicing medicine. Right, and also uh, what I, you know, the problem is also that a lot of the time the way it's been presented to them in the system is sort of, okay, here's Western medicine. We'll teach you a little bit of alternative medicines to sort of add to what you're doing. Mm-hmm. What we really need is a, a completely different way of thinking about it. And, mm-hmm. and that's not really happening enough. It's not happening in the right. institutions. And that's, um, that's the problem. Well, we need more guys like you to make that happen. What is the meaning of life? What happens when we die? What is our purpose here? If like me, you ponder these delicious existential questions, I have got just the thing for you. 
It's called Soul Boom. It's a podcast hosted by everyone's favorite best friend and my friend, the deep thinking and deeply hilarious Rain Wilson, where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. You are listening to this podcast because you care about improving your health and your well-being. But this quest is incomplete if you have yet to add my friend Dr. Rangan Chatterjee's Feel Better, Live More podcast into your listening quiver. An RRP favorite and someone I'm personally quick to call when I'm in need of good advice. From nutrition to mindset, fitness, and relationships, each episode is packed with the tools you need to become the architect of your health. Subscribe to Feel Better, Live More, available wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. My friend Amanda Decadene is one such human. The podcast is called The Conversation because it is the conversation, a groundbreaking series of raw and honest exchanges on the issues that matter most, mental health, sex, politics, ambition, gender roles, and more. Listen to The Conversation wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk uh, talk about uh, inflammation more specifically and food intolerances because I know that's a big focus of what right. you do here. And I think that you know, so when you cast the umbrella term of inflammation, that really is you know such a massive part of what is making people ill, and right. it seems to be something that can be easily rectified with some pretty simple lifestyle choice alterations. Right. So inflammation is interesting because inflammation can come from certain foods that trigger inflammation. And a Mm -hmm. lot of the foods that people are eating actually do trigger inflammation. The sugar, the gluten. I'm a huge believer and, you know, that gluten is a big problem. And that's because, you know, we see so many people who they stop gluten and all sorts of problems get better. But sugar, gluten, dairy would be, you know, the three big ones that trigger inflammation. But I think what what people and, and even people in the alternative world are not really getting, with, and which I think is a major issue, is often the inflammation is coming from a gut that's imbalanced, mm-hmm. the and microbial ecology. Exactly that your your microbiome, the, you mm-hmm. know, the balance of the good and the bad bacteria, and and so many people, most people have this imbalance, partly because of the foods they're eating, the antibiotics in in, in a lot of the animal products the number of antibiotics they've taken over the years, other drugs they've taken, um, GMOs can do it. So you get this imbalance in the gut. And then what happens is firstly you don't digest those foods that you're normally eating properly. And because they're not digested properly, they can go through a damaged gut wall and trigger inflammation. Mm -hmm. But even the toxins released by this, this imbalance in good and bacteria is a huge source of to- of of inflammation and toxicity. Mm-hmm. So I think people get that foods can do it, 
But probably more important is how that food is digested and what's going on in your gut. Mm -hmm. Because something I learned early on in Chinese medicine, I had this, you know, my, my second level of, of Chinese medicine um, came through um, Harriet Bainfeld and Ephraim Korngold in San Francisco. They wrote a book called Between Heaven and Earth. Mm -hmm. Brilliant, brilliant people. I mean, it's still, I love them. They just really, they really taught me how to think differently about the body. But to them, always the gut was the, the center, was the earth element. And when the earth go goes off, everything goes off. And um, even in uh, most non-traditional medicines, um, I once got taught by a famous herbalist, when you don't know what's going on, you treat the gut. Mm -hmm. And I think in this day and age, in particular, the gut is a huge issue. And when you have this, this dysbiosis or this imbalance in the good and the ba bad bacteria, that's a huge source of toxicity and inflammation. And if you don't treat that, the inflammation is not going to go. It may get better when you remove the foods. Mm -hmm. It's not going to go away completely. So it's Until really you actually change that, that exactly. the nature of that, that the gut biome. Exactly. I think that's super fascinating. And I feel like <clears throat> that this interest and focus on the microbiome is something that's really only getting into public yeah. consciousness even just in the last year i know it's and unbelievable know. it's fantastic and it, i think that's going <laughs> to yeah. shift medicine it's more huge. than anything yeah, yeah. yeah. and when, yeah. when i kind of started my journey i mean back 2007 or 8 when i first began to like change my diet and look at my my lifestyle habits etc um i have a good friend and somebody who's worked with me extensively named compton rom he's a phd in microbiology and he started hammering home this idea to me early and often all the time and he would you know concoct these crazy smoothies for me right. to help get my gut biome on the right track and i became fascinated with this and i and i would talk about it and people would look like i'm crazy but now literally in the last year yeah. now it's it's a thing you know it's and a, i think yeah. it's hugely important but i think it's important to be able to give people some idea of how they can course correct this if they feel like they're on the wrong track with it or how do you even know if you're out of balance well, that's a, a good question. I think the easiest place um, or the easiest way to know is if your digestion is off. If you're still getting bloated or you're constipated or you have loose stools or you have indigestion, if you have any digestive symptoms, I usually assume that the, the, the microbiome is off. Um, I, in my practice here, probably start, 70 to 80 percent of the people who come in we treat the micro we, we, mm -hmm. we, we give herbal antibiotics and probiotics because you've got to understand the microbiome there are you know there are more bacteria in your gut than you have cells in your body right. you have thousands and thousands of different strains and we don't really know exactly what's going on so it's a crapshoot so you're guessing and um what we usually do initially with most of our patients, we take them off all the common foods that can trigger inflammation, the sugar and the gluten and the dairy and the soy and the processed food and the junk food and, and alcohol. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we usually give them herbal antibiotics. And I have a cleanse, and that's what, basically what the mm -hmm. cleanse does. We give them herbal antibiotics in the cleanse. We often use probiotics as well. Mm -hmm. So I do it at the same time. Um, and... It's amazing how people respond. But, I mean, some people will do well with just the dietary changes, but when you add those herbs that actually kill the bad bacteria, 
people do so well. Right. It's amazing. And you know, it sounds like such a foreign concept, but the example that I always use, and I'm interested in what you think of this, is is uh, when you watch the documentary, uh, uh, what's it called, with Morgan Spurlock, when he eats McDonald's every day? I want to say fat second nearly. No, it's not. Super size. So, right. so you'll notice uh, that you know, the first couple of days that he's eating McDonald's all day long, he's getting sick. Like he can't stand the idea of eating it. But when you fast forward two weeks later, he wakes up in the morning feeling sick and does not feel right until he eats the McDonald's. Exactly. And then he says, I feel great now. So, exactly. so what is- I'm seeing is a shift in his microbiome. Right. That bi- microbial ecology has changed and it now needs to it feeds on that mcdonald's food it needs that mcdonald's food to survive and it's triggering his system to say get me more of that get me more of that right and and i mean it's complicated because there's no question that happens but then there's also the 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 idea of these foods are addictive i mean sugar and Mm -hmm. gluten and a lot of and and the the food companies know this i mean they're putting they're making foods that are addictive and now we know that a lot of these foods actually trigger or light up the same part of the brain that heroin does so we're dealing with drug addicts i mean we saw a patient today who's an ex who was an ex-heroin addict and he and um and he got off heroin Mm -hmm. and he comes in here and he's and he and the first thing he said you know because he knew he was going to have to change his diet he said he's not disciplined enough to change his diet and i had explained to him it's not really discipline we have this idea that you've got to be disciplined the problem is these foods are addictive. You are basically an addict. This is the same thing mm-hmm. over again, except it's not heroin, but it's sugar and junk food and gluten. And they're causing and, and triggering the same chemicals that your, your heroin did. So we've got to get it through to people that these are addictions that are being created. It's not just about being disciplined to not eat sugar right. and gluten. It's not as <clears throat> simple as that. Your body, I mean, the same thing that happens to drugs happens when you eat these foods like what happened to Morgan, Morgan Spurlock, what happens to all of us. You eat the food like you feel like crap initially, and then your body adapts, mm-hmm. and you stop feeling so bad from the food. That's what happens with drugs. So it's, these are complicated right. things. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, if people doubt that supposition, they should read uh, Salt, Sugar, Fat, exactly. Michael Morris' yeah, he ex- book, yeah, where he, he explains, explains this yeah. in, in detail and yep. sort of uses the analogy of the tobacco companies in the 70s and all the science and research that goes into specifically devising foods that are going to trigger that addictive response. And I think the appropriate way of dealing with that is to borrow from the parlance of recovery and say, this is not about willpower. This is about surrender. This is not about you being a a weak person. We're dealing with a beast here and it needs a different, you need to shift your perspective on how you deal with it and deal with it in the same way that you would treat Somebody who's struggling with a heroin addiction exactly. or something of, of exactly. that nature, and, and, and <clears throat> that that hasn't got into the culture zeit, you know, mm-hmm. zeitgeist yet. And I think if we can get that in, that these are drugs, these are addictive drugs that you need to get over, that would help. And you talk about, you know, this, the the tobacco industry. I think the junk food industry, the sugar industry, is the same. There's, they mm-hmm. they use exactly the same um, tricks that the tobacco industry uses. They, they they put out this information to make people question that these are harmful to you. Right. They're doing exactly, they're using exactly because the same thing. Because if the consumer data. is confused, that yes. plays into them. As they long want, as people exactly. are confused, then they'll that, continue to buy their product. And they want to keep the consumer confused. Right. They're doing exactly what the tobacco industry. It's criminal what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, 
these these health issues have become political issues. I mean, and emotional issues. I mean, there's right. nothing you right. know. It's in my experience, talking about diet and food is about as emotionally charged as religion or politics. And exactly, and I think that that right. confusion kind of trickles over into your sort of dietary peculiarities, whether you're you're a low carb person or you're right. a paleo person or you're a vegan or you're no sugar, no grains, or, you know, then there's the, you know, the high fat crowd or whatever. And it's like these people, you know, you know, of which we're each, we play a part in this whole sort of dialogue, of course, but to the extent that we argue amongst each other, that keeps the general public, the guy who's going to McDonald's every day saying, well, they they can't figure it out. So I'm just going to keep eating McDonald's until they do. Well, this is what we were talking about this thing exactly today, because the, the the reality is there is no one right diet for everyone. Some people do really one, well on a paleo diet, or you know no grains, no whatever. Some people mm-hmm. do well on a on um, just removing gluten. Some people do well on a vegan diet. I mean, there is no. It's hard to to say there is one right diet. Um, you got to play around and see what works for mm-hmm. you. Having said that, the majority of people that we see in this practice are carbohydrate sensitive, mm-hmm. should be cutting down on their carbohydrates um, and and do much better when they do that. Um, but if you're not carbohydrate sensitive, there's no, you know, I don't think that diet's going to work for you. So you really need to play around with it. There. And, and But I think people really need to, I mean, I, it pisses me off this paleo world and the vegan world and everyone's got the... It doesn't work for everyone. Right. People really need to get that. You've got to see what works for you and go with it. Mm-hmm. And I think you can look at, at the shared commonalities between all yeah. of them, which are really you know, exactly. at their root about yes. eating whole foods close Absolutely. to their natural state. It's exactly. about eating an anti-inflammatory, more alkaline-forming diet. It's about right. getting rid of the processed foods. It's all these things that are kind of at the core essence of, of all these. And the, and the rest is the cherry on top. You know, It's these, these details that we can quibble over. Yeah. But... I do, you know, I do like that idea of, you know, a patient coming in and and you saying, well, we have to we have to find out what's going on with you before we can say you should do this, that or the other, whether it's your lifestyle habits, your dietary habits and or your blood work. Let's let's look at these food sensitivities. And, and that kind of dovetails into what I want to talk about next, which is gluten and gluten sensitivity, you know, very popular subject right now. There's some controversy. Some people think it's overblown. Um, you know, this idea of sensitivity versus celiac. And, you know, all I know is in my own personal experience that when I eat gluten, I don't feel so good. You know, I feel sluggish. My eyes swell up. You know, I get puffy. There's an inflammatory response. And I don't have celiac. So somewhere I'm I'm somewhere on that spectrum of sensitivity. And I'm not perfect at cutting gluten out of my diet. But I know that when I do, I feel better. Okay, so that's a great question because there is a misunderstanding and it's actually very simple and I don't give a shit what experts say. We see this every day in, in our practice. There is this whole spectrum of gluten sensitivity from not being sensitive to gluten, which is unusual, mm-hmm. to celiac disease. And we see this all the time. People come in and they do the celiac test and it's negative and the doctors say, well, you don't have celiac disease, you can eat gluten. It's nonsense. Most people actually fit on the spectrum somewhere like you, like me. I can have a little bit of gluten. It's not mm-hmm. the end of the world. 
But I know if I have a little bit too much or if I'm starting to eat it a bit too frequently, also I start getting inflammation. I start first place I feel it is my toes. I actually get this like inflammation in my toes, and I mm-hmm. know something I've been eating and it's and it's often gluten. Um, or so I, I hardly eat gluten anymore, and you know I'm not obsessive. In sometimes if I see a from like in Italy or wherever, and I want to eat, actually, I don't get that reaction in Italy, interestingly enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that gets into like the different ways yeah, that we so, refine our so grains. So we'll, we'll right? talk about mm-hmm. that. But, yeah. you know, sometimes I want a piece of bread or some gluten, and I have it, and then I suffer the consequences. But most people fit into that spectrum where they can have a little bit, and it's probably not a problem. As they go over their tolerance level, they get symptoms. Mm-hmm. And I know... I know for sure. I don't have to have a study. I know that's the reality for most people because, we, you know, I've just seen so thousands of p- people where this happens, where their celiac test is negative, but they're still reacting to gluten. Mm-hmm. And it's probably because the gluten, you know, the wheat of today is very different to the wheat of our ancestors. It's an altered grain. And maybe because of that, I mean, there's so many theories. I mean, what I don't get into, be, you know, you know, for instance, the paleo theory of why, I gra- you know, why you should be eating this way, whether that's true or not, I, I think I don't really care. Mm-hmm. You know, some people do well on a paleo diet. Don't, some people don't do well. I don't know if it's just because of you know people can't tolerate grains and all the lectins. And I'm, I'm sort of just working clinically, mm-hmm. or you know. Uh, I sort of go by what I see uh, clinically in my experience, but um, most people that we see in this practice are somewhat sensitive to gluten. Some people more so than others, but most people are somewhat sensitive. And I think that's because the wheat is is different. And I go to Italy and we have patients who go to Italy and have the pasta and the bread there and don't seem to have reactions. Mm-hmm. I thought that was crazy at first, but I've gone there. The same things happened to me. First of all, well, maybe I'm on holiday, and maybe it's happening because of that. Yes. But I hear this you have an extra endorphin rush because you're in Tuscany, and <laughs> maybe. But we hear this over and yeah. over again. So there's something to to it. Uh huh. That's that's very very interesting. I mean, and so why is this such a controversial notion? Then why are people well, pushing back on this? Well, I think you know, same as people push. You know, the 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 old god will always push back initially. I mean, I. Um, I think there's less and less pushback because more and more people are feeling it in their bodies. But um, there's always going to be pushback against something that sort of goes against their way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So, so what are the what are the main kind of trends that you see in the patients that are coming through your doors? I mean, we've talked about gluten sensitivity. We've talked about sort of um, this this carbohydrate intolerance. I mean, what are the what are the things that people should be looking out for? What are the kind of chronic conditions out there that are well, typical? Right. Well, the, the trend, one of the trends that I see is younger and younger people, especially women, because it's the women who usually come in. I'm seeing younger and younger women come in with problems that I used to see older. You know, women are coming in in their twenties when they used to come in in their forties. Um, with more and more chronic conditions. I mean, I see so many people with um, what's labeled irritable bowel syndrome, which Mm -hmm. is a totally meaningless name for a a whole host of of, of problems. And I think um, we we are seeing that. We're seeing a lot of autoimmune problems, thyroid, autoimmune, rheumatoid arthritis. 
And I think all of these problems are a result of, as you're talking about, these, the, the junk that's put into the food, um, the chemicals in the environment in general, um, this microbiome that's off. Because most of these problems we actually treat in a very similar way. We take them off the common foods that trigger the inflammation mm-hmm. and we treat the gut. Now, sometimes we support the liver. Sometimes we, we do some other things. But most of the time, we're doing very similar things, and most people get better. So I think the trend is um, younger people um, reacting or, or, or presenting with these chronic problems, be- probably because they started when they were younger. We, mm-hmm. you know, Most of us our age started when right. we were older. The advent of these foods wasn't exactly. really around at, at, in the earlier years. Exactly. So I think... That's what I'm seeing, a, a lot more and more autoimmune problems. Um, but I, the, the other trend I'm seeing is much more openness in the younger generation to, um, to want to change your diet and, and feel healthy. So, I, it's, you know, in the old days, I'd have to spend so much time trying to explain. My generation, I'm almost 60. My generation, I like, it's like they're so difficult because you've got to convince them you, you know, that's well, my doctor said or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still caught up in this belief system of Western medicine and, and our Western way as being right. right. The younger generation get that we're doing something wrong and they're very open to change. So, you know, that's, you know, the success of Mind, Body, Green and, you know, what people like you are doing is people know that there's something wrong mm-hmm. with the system and with what we've been taught up to now. And they're looking for change. And, and, and that's so, uh, to me, that's so exciting. Yeah, I'm incredibly optimistic and really optimistic, particularly with very young people, because I think that they're very attuned to what's going on. They look around, they see obese people all over the place, and they see the, the lifestyle habits that are contributing to those problems that the older generation is having. And they're having this converse sort of. I don't want that in exactly. my life, you yeah. know, and that's, this is the first generation that's had to see that and experience that. And then at the same time, you can't walk a block in New York City without seeing Organic Avenue or a juice press right. place and get your, huh? your turmeric shot, know. you know, and we got here a little bit early and I said, oh, let's see if there's a place where we can go hang out right, for 10 it? minutes so we don't, we don't bug, you right. know, the, the good doctor. And yeah, we went to the juice press right. place and had some kale chips. And, you know, that would not have existed a couple of years ago. Uh, and it's happening quickly. Yeah. It's really it's quickly. Really, it is. It is. So, it's yeah, I, I feel extremely positive. I mean, uh-huh. I am so excited by the young generation. I mean, I have six, now seven health coaches working with me. And these are all women who were disillusioned with what they were doing, wanted, you know, wanted to study nutrition, wanted to make a difference. They live this life. And they went to study it further, and they want to, you know, do something to to help people. So, and you know, this is, seems to be happening all the time. We have so many patients who come in here; they change their life, and they then they go to IIN to go study nutrition because right. they they want to make a difference. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I feel very positive, and and I feel positive because it's coming from the bottom. It, this is a consumer-driven movement. It's not coming from the top. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's ever going to come from the top. I don't feel positive that the government, that the politicians, that our institutions, that the medical system is ever going to change. It's too entrenched in the 
in the medical, industrial, financial, whatever complex mm-hmm. that is creating right. wealth for whoever it's creating wealth for. So they're too entrenched in that. They're not going to change it. That's going to be very difficult to change. But there is a very strong, powerful consumer-driven movement which is growing. I mean, look at Mind Body Green. Isn't it? Oh, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. I mean, every month their website traffic seems to double. And Jason will say that, you know, all the web experts out there would tell him, oh, well, you'll never break the glass ceiling on this number because right. nobody's that interested in wellness. And, and he continues to, you know, blow away all those benchmarks. Right. And it's that's phenomenal. I mean, that speaks to the promise for all of us and for our country you know that definitely feeds the optimism right and it is it's young i mean it is a young movement which is fantastic so and we have the we all have the power to vote with our dollar and so as much as it's consumer driven you know we can support those businesses that are cropping up around and i think we all should be doing that i think that's important we should be supporting those businesses because um you, you know, there's so much money. Look at you in California. Look at the GMO labeling. And look mm-hmm. what you you have to come up against. I mean, this these are you know billions, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars fighting to keep. Uh, have you seen right. the latest thing? They want to label it themselves. Yes. The GMO, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, I know. Not, it's, uh, it, it never ends, and I'm right. constantly beating a dead horse with this issue on the podcast. So, I mean, <laughs> but it is remarkable and amazing that uh, they were able to defeat that that uh, that initiative, that but Prop th- 37. And, but I do think it's changing. I mean, yeah. there's no question, because I've been in this movement a long time, and, I, and every year it just, you know, it's not just slowly happening. It's like, exponentially right. growing and it's mm-hmm. it's it's so exciting it's wonderful i mean mm-hmm. I, i'm very very positive about the next generation yeah me too there is so much health information out there it can feel overwhelming and leave even the most well-intentioned confused about what's what and who to trust Well, the first person that I call when I'm seeking clarity is my friend and nutrition expert, Simon Hill, host of the fantastic podcast, The Proof. Each week, Simon matches wits with brilliant scientists, translating their evidence-based insights into actionable tools for better well-being. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce my next venture, Voicing Change Media. This beautiful consortium of thinkers, storytellers, artists, and visionaries all committed to fostering meaningful exchanges and sharing thought-provoking content. Voicing Change Media will feature shows like The Proof with Simon Hill, Soul Boom with Rain Wilson, Mentor Buffet with Alexi Pappas, Feel Better Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, and The Conversation with Amanda Decadene. You can explore this network and all its offerings at voicingchange.media. I know that you're a big <clears throat> proponent of doing detox cleanse, ju- you know, fruit and v- vegetable uh, de- detox cleanses, and that's something that was absolutely crucial in commencing my journey. Had I not done that, I'm not sure that I would have taken the next step. It was a profound thing for me. But it's also, that's another kind of sort of controversial thing. And, and it begs up, the, it, it begs the question of, you know, juicing in general. And there seems to be this uh, idea now that, you know, we should never drink 
juice, you know, that the sugar and the juice is bad and we should stay away from that. And, you know, I don't go a day without having, you know, my own juice that I, we make at home, you know, vegetable fruit juice or, you know, my Vitamix smoothies that I, you know, couldn't go two days without. Right. So, well, I have a slightly different take on this. I think someone like you, you're probably not carbohydrate sensitive, but mm-hmm. too much fruit juice for some people is a problem. When I started getting to juicing many years ago, I bought a juicer and I started, um, my favorite was uh, a- apples, carrots, um, beets, and ginger. Mm-hmm. I started juicing and I started putting on all this weight. Mm. Um, and that is too much sugar for me. So I'm not against juicing. I am against too much sugar in the juices, too much fruits mm-hmm. for some people. But my, you know, to get back to your question about detox, to me a detox is just an entry point into a healthy lifestyle. Right, it's like it's a not tabla a, rasa. Exactly. It's just a way of getting into eating and, and living a healthy way because what I find with a detox, I, so my detox isn't a juicing detox, although I'm not against juicing, especially if there's not too much uh, fruit in it. My detox is really about cleaning out the gut. You know, we were talking mm-hmm. about that earlier. Supporting... Um, the liver and the gut with the nutrients to help the detoxification system and removing all the foods that could be triggering inflammation and toxicity. And once again, to me, it's just that entry point into getting... So so people feel, after two weeks, feel so much better. They go, ah, I can actually feel like this. So they don't have to listen to me anymore. They listen to their bodies. And then we get them on a healthy plan. So that, to me, the detox is just such a great little boost, a sort of you know, pushing the reset button more than um, a long-term thing that anyone has to do. It's just a great way of getting healthy, starting right. that journey. Right, 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 starting over. Um, but I think so that you, you bring up an important point because, I, you know, I'm not against juicing. I think juicing is a great way of resting the digestive system. Mm-hmm. I mean, I personally do smoothies every day. I'm a big Vitamix smoothie person. Um, and, you know, I love my juices too and, and juice press do make good juices right. <laughs> um but i do think we do uh, you know i am wary of giving people who carbohydrate sensitive which is a lot of people too much fruit juice i think i understand that yeah that that, that is a you know a, a, where you, you need to just be aware of that more than than right, it's right, a, right. an issue for everyone and i would say that that uh to be clear when i when when i and tyler are sitting here we make juices together at our house and and they're very vegetable based. Like I almost use fruit just to cut the flavor, so it's right. a little more palatable. No, you got it, but absolutely, it, but it's yes. usually kale, beets, spinach, you know, celery, yeah. things like that. Yeah. So it's it, it's much lower glycemic. Sure, and look, you're a perfect example of of it working. Chris Carr is a perfect example mm-hmm. of, of of these things working. So I'm definitely not against it. I just tell people just be careful of putting too much sugar because. I know from my, my, you know, I like, I'm a, I love the sugar, so I wanted this, I wanted the sweet. Right, I got you. So if somebody's listening to this and they're kind of at that crossroads point in their life where they're 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 grappling with how to live more healthy, uh, but they're not quite there yet, but they're interested. I mean, how does somebody begin this journey of trying to figure out, you know, what their food in, uh, sensitivities are, what their intolerances are, and how to take that first right step? Okay, so the first thing, I mean, I rarely do blood tests for food intolerances now that for a couple of reasons. Over the years when I used to do them, I found that the, the results changed so frequently. 
and especially changed after you clean up the gut. So I usually don't do the blood tests. I put people on elimination diets, as we were talking earlier. I tell mm-hmm. people, remove you know, the sugar, the, the gluten, the dairy. You know, we have it on, our, on my website. We have a cleanse diet and we have a Be Well Living diet. Both of them, the cleanse diet's a bit stricter, but we remove the common foods that cause a problem. I often at the same time clean out the gut, but then after that you start introducing foods and you see how you react to those foods. So we start with the foods that usually don't cause a problem, but sometimes do, like the nightshades. You reintroduce them, you see how you feel. Then you can start with maybe a bit of soy, maybe a bit of dairy, whatever. But you slowly, one at a time, every two or three days, reintroduce a food or a food group and you see how you respond. And you listen to your body. And the beauty of that is you start becoming your own doctor. You start becoming, oh, it's awareness training. I think Mm -hmm. a lot of what we try to teach patients is awareness training, where it's aware of where your mind's going, but it's also aware of how you respond to food, to your peers, to, you know, to your boss. So the more aware you can become and including to how you react to foods, the the better it's going to be for you in the long term. Right. I think that's a, that's a great, you know, sort of introductory message. And I think that it is important that you do have to kind of clean things up first before you can really see how these different foods are affecting you. I mean, for example, if you just want to know if you have a gluten sensitivity and you cut out gluten from your diet, everybody's going to feel better because they're they're not going to be eating as much processed food. So by virtue of whether it's gluten or anything else, they're going to feel better. So you have to kind of get to a baseline, you know, from a scientific point of view for when, for so that you can really objectively evaluate what's going on. Yeah, I think that's important. I think it's, you know, you know, a lot of people come in here and they say, well, I stopped dairy for a week and maybe, you know, stopped gluten for a week. Um, <clears throat> but I think it's much better if you cut out all these foods first and you start at a new baseline. Mm-hmm. Great. All right, so uh, I'm going to let you go. That's all right. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. You want to keep going? Yeah. <laughs> all right, good. So, uh, where do you see where do you see uh, wellness heading? Like in the you know in the next ten years, if you had your druthers, I mean, what is the next thing? Oh, I think it's just a huge growing movement, and and part of it um, I can tell because the financial guys, the um, the money people, are starting to get involved, and you know. I, so many people, you know, want to invest in my company, invest mm-hmm. in something health. They're coming to me for advice because they see wellness is hot. So I think that's good and can be bad. I mean, I think, but the fact that the the, <clears throat> the investors are starting to realize that wellness is here, as they say, wellness is hot, and it's we, it's obviously here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you're going to see more and more big money coming in. Um, supporting whether it's mind body green or 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 wellness companies um and i think that's basically a good thing if we can all stay true to our truth and not sell out yeah i think that there's a danger of being co-opted just like you see i agree a green you know all natural label on every food product that's essentially meaningless um, but at the same time, you see things like CVS saying we're not going to sell right. tobacco products anymore. Like that's real. That's a legitimate like, right. shift. And I think it's up to us to tr- stay true to the truth and not to sell out. And I think yeah, there will be some people that sell out. But I think there's going to be a core. I mean, I honestly believe there's a lot of core people who you know who really believe in 
in in this and and in, we'll do it intelligently. So I think this is just going to grow. They're going to be more and more healthy. And the same as you come to New York now and you see juice places all over. I think in five years' time, you're going to see healthy restaurants all over. Mm-hmm. I mean, New York is into I mean, this has been going on in L.A. for much longer. But when something grabs hold in New York, it like, grabs hold. The rest of the world. I so, don't know. I mean, I, I think New York rivals L.A. any day of the week in terms of healthy restaurants. I mean, it's, there's well, so many. I think there's gonna, it's just going to explode. I mean, grass-fed meat, for instance, was so hard to get. Um, you're not a meat eater. Yeah, but yeah. I eat, when mm-hmm. I eat meat, I'll eat grass-fed meat. Now I see more and more restaurants doing it. Well, gluten-free is sort of almost passe. So many places are doing gluten-free. But I, I see more and more healthy restaurants, you know. Um, you know, I have, I have chefs who, who patients who, who say to me, uh, their priority is good, tasty food, but we shouldn't be thinking of it, is it healthy or not healthy? They just want to make good, tasty food that mm-hmm. is automatically healthy. Right. And I think that's what's going to happen. It's going to not become, you know, do I have to eat uh, healthy and cardboard and, and uh, uh, food that isn't so tasty but I want to eat healthy. Uh, I, I see that happening, that these healthy, these healthy restaurants are becoming really good. Oh, yeah. restaurants, it doesn't, yeah. They don't have to say uh, they're this kind of restaurant or that. Exactly. They're just, they're just delicious. I mean, if you go to <clears throat> Cafe Gratitude in Los Angeles, right. it doesn't say that everything is plant-based. And you don't have to ask the question. You eat your meal there. It's absolutely exactly. delicious. It's a wonderful environment. And you're, you leave wanting to go back. And I and think that's, that's it. Yeah, and I know? think that's going to happen more and more. Um, I think this young generation, I mean, there's so many, so many people are getting into nutrition. I think the, the web has been um, such a positive thing. Yeah, it's got its problems, but the, the, the way people are getting educated now, the young people, is fantastic. So I definitely see this, this big shift with the 20-year-olds and, 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 and younger, mm-hmm. a major shift in, in how they see things. I mm-hmm. mean... I have so many patients who've come in with their mothers, like a young 20-year-old woman who really has been screwed around by the medical system and sick. They've discovered, they've been online and sort of worked out what is sort of going on with them. They've come here with their mothers, and you go through everything with them, and it makes perfect sense with them, and they keep looking at their mothers and say, I told you so, more. I told you so. <laughs> We've seen this yeah. so often. I mean, it's becoming like a common thing. The mother's uh-huh. like, you know, thought the kid was crazy, um, and it's just beautiful to see. And and right. so I think there's more and more of this younger generation educating my generation. So I, I love it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I mean, I, we're seeing that. You know, one of the questions that always comes up is, well, how do you get your kids to eat more healthy? And <clears throat> there's no magic bullet answer to that, other than leading by example and exactly. providing healthy alternatives. Right. And it takes time and being patient and being flexible when they go to a friend's house Absolutely. and all these sorts of things. Right. And we have a particularly uh, uh, sort of strong-willed ten-year-old daughter who has her own ideas about how things should go, and was very resistant to healthy eating for many, many years. And now. My wife's favorite thing is to post in Instagram pictures of what she's choosing to pack in her lunch. You know, she's right. making healthy choices, and she'll always like tag it with something like, you know, my, the the microbes are changing. You know, the, <laughs> the 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 microbiome is taking hold of her brain. You know, and it's really it's amazing and and encouraging 
to see that. It's Not because we told her she had to, but she's making it's that fantastic. choice. And even going to Costco, I mean, they sell these big bags of organic almond flour at Costco. Things like, you know, um, the recipes that are on the web for these healthy desserts, you know, coconut, uh, coconut mm. milk and all. It's just, I, I'm, I'm amazed at, um, you know, and, and I've been helped a lot by my health coaches because, you know, over the years it's been me telling people, okay, you shouldn't eat gluten, you shouldn't eat this, that, yada, yada, yada. Now I have health coaches who actually give specifics mm-hmm. to the patients and they come up with Pinterest pages with all these amazing recipes. And now my wife in the last couple of years has been making these unbelievable desserts because I love my sugar, I love that sweetness. And, you know, now I can have my chocolate mousse made with raw cacao and coconut milk and chia seeds and a bit of stevia. I mean, things mm. that – so so there's the availability of having the same um, um, dessert or the junk food that we all crave. You can get it in a, in a healthy form now. I think that's becoming more ubiquitous, which I think is – yeah, it's overcoming this idea that there's a sacrifice involved. Exactly. Because when Thank you. you know, yes, in, in, exactly. at our age, you know, going to the natural food market meant going to that terrible place where everything tastes horrible. Exactly. And, and it's just not that way anymore. Thank and, you. And That's they've really figured it out. Yep. And that doesn't, you know, that mean that. Well, I think that means two things. On the one hand, there are incredible, healthy, delicious alternatives to, let's say, ice cream because you can get this coconut milk stuff or you can make it yourself and it's absolutely fantastic and you don't feel like you're sacrificing anything to eat it. At the same time, there's also the advent of, you know, lots and lots, (laughs) many, many, many more processed foods that say this is gluten-free or this is dairy-free or this is sugar-free or this is fat-free or it's vegan or whatever it is. And it, it plays a mind trick on you right. because you think, oh, well, this is right. this, so this must be healthy, when in fact it's a heavily processed food. So I think you have to have some exactly. discernment when it comes to that. No, that's right on. I mean, I think there's so much of that junk health food out there. But at the same time, I, mean, I think you nailed it. I think my idea um, of healthy dessert or healthy food was not really that taste. It was like I'm eating it because it's healthy, not mm-hmm. because it's delicious. Now. Right. That's shifted. I mean, you get from, you know, everything can be absolutely delicious and healthy. Right. And that's the way it should be. When, when well, we were younger, uh, it was the carob bar, right? Exactly. Like horrible tasting. Exactly. Yeah. And you had to make a choice. And yeah. you used to eat this crap because you thought it was healthy. I mean, yeah. It was that, yeah. And that's changed. And that's probably only in the last five years that I've seen this real right. shift. That, like, I don't need to get that crappy you know delicious healthy food i think it also brings up an important issue though which is um the economics of all of it because you know not everybody can go to whole foods and afford that coconut bliss ice cream and and that stuff's pricey and when you see the blueprint juice that's twelve dollars and you know yeah i'm sure it's great but it's like that's ridiculous so for somebody who's on a budget it's very easy to be dismissive and say, well, you know, I'd, I'd eat well if I could, but, you know, it's not in the realm of possibility. So how do you help disabuse people of that idea that eating healthy, do- it doesn't have to be a whole foods, you know, whole foods, whole paycheck? Right. Well, I'm going to sort of answer it first by saying, uh, not really answer it, but I need to bring up the point that the problem is the foods that get subsidized by our government, by our tax dollars, 
are all the unhealthy foods. I mean, they've just mm -hmm. bailed out the sugar industry fairly recently in the last couple of months. So our tax money is going to subsidize all that food that we shouldn't be eating, and that's why it's cheap. Put that aside. What, what what's the practical the practicalities of eating healthy on a budget? I mean, I think it is partly a problem, but you know, I, 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 what we tell people is, you know, the um, the ewg.org, the Environmental Working Group, has a wonderful list of of the dirty dozen and the clean fifteen. Mm -hmm. So try buy your 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 fruits and vegetables organic, and the ones that are relatively or have fewer pesticides, those aren't as important. So we give people that list or we tell them to, to look at that list. Right. The Dirty Dozen is a list that comes out every year that, that identifies the 12 foods that really are really important that you get organic. Exactly. Because the pesticide levels are so high in those. Right. And that's ewg.org. Uh, so, we, you know, we, we, we do that. But then, you know, we start really teaching people to cook at home and eat at home, and that becomes much cheaper. Um, and, you know, if you can't get organic ingredients, you don't get your, you know, still get your fruits and vegetables. Um, just try eat food as close to nature as possible, foods that haven't been altered by, um, by the, the food industry. So I think the more you encourage people to eat at home, the less expensive it's going to be. But I don't know if they I mean, it's a problem. It is, it is sort of a mm -hmm. middle-class, upper-middle-class thing to do. It's very difficult to eat healthily on a very low budget. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a problem. I don't know what the solution to that is. I mean, it's actually criminal, but that's just the way right. it is. I had a uh, guest on the podcast a couple months ago, a uh, guy called David Simon, and he wrote a book called Meatonomics, and he really did an economic analysis on the food subsidies and how this has impacted our economy. And when you do the math and you look at how much of our taxpayer dollars goes into subsidizing these, the manufacturing of, you know, whether it's livestock or grains or what have you, that that, you know, McDonald's Big Mac, which is whatever it is, two bucks, three bucks, actually comes out to, you know, some crazy number. Like, I can't remember what it was, but, it, you know, it's like right. $9 or something like that. Right. So we are we actually are exactly. we paying, are paying for, for this it. in our own way. I know. And to be able to kind of yep. reframe it and think about it might be, I mean, it's not going to solve everybody's problem, but it's interesting to kind of think of it in those terms. Yeah. <clears throat> and yeah. I think until we really can enact some legislative change, you know, on Capitol Hill to really address that in a real way, you know, it's going to be difficult to really change that paradigm. But... I don't know how optimistic I am about that. <laughs> right, and, and the other, you know, and it's not happening enough, but I know, you know I work with a non-profit in South Africa, and we started growing, uh, we started vegetable gardens at the school because mm -hmm. these kids, I went there one year, and the kids were getting bread and, and jam for lunch, and that was their lunch. And I saw all this, you know, this all this ground around, and I thought, you know, I used to. I've been teaching at Rancho La Puerta, which is mm. a spa in Mexico, and yeah, they had we this were just bed. there. I was just there. Not How those ago. vegetable Amazing. gardens and yeah. what's his name, the gardener? Oh, he's an incredible guy. Yeah. So I thought, why can't we do this here? So we started growing vegetable. We started vegetable gardens at the schools, and um, first of all, you, we, the, the kids would learn about the vegetables. I mean, their health changed dramatically. I mean, the principals couldn't believe from ADD, and a lot of them are HIV positive, because this was the, the only meal that they were getting. But right. the point is, if we can encourage people to grow their own vegetables, 
that would be great. Right. I don't know I how mean, realistic that is, but um, why can't it be that every public school has its exactly. own garden? I mean, what uh, is well, exactly. you know, why would that be so difficult to create? Even if they were small little hanging gardens, and it was part of your curriculum to learn and take care of, like a small amount of growing carrots right. and kale or something. So I think this is the direction that I would like things to. You know, in the next couple of years. Um, I think that's where I'm going to start putting some energy into these simple things that I think um, can make a huge difference. I mean, I've seen it happen in South Africa. There's no reason why it can't happen here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it is happening a little bit, but yeah. it could become, you know, it, it, it should be spreading all over. But they're doing it kind of on their own exactly. volition. Not, exactly. There's no sort of policy from above. I mean, right. I went out um, and... And visited the public school out in Queens that implemented the plant-based diet out there. P.S. I forget what it's called. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Um, there's an amazing uh, public school. It's the first public school in the country to implement a plant-based diet. Wow. And I went out there to meet with them and, and have them on the podcast and hear about this. And it, get, it got a lot of press because it's like, ooh, vegetarian diet. Right. But it really wasn't about that. It was That was almost a byproduct of... Um, a systemic commitment to wellness at this school, basically an elementary school for kids where it's woven into the fabric of their everyday existence and they're growing their food in the back and they have tower gardens in the library and they're they're learning how to make healthy snacks and their after school programs and all this kind of amazing things that are happening. So there are these sparks that are occurring. We just have to fan those. I think so. Yeah. And I think we all need to work together whether you're a vegan or you're a paleo. And I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> God forbid, right? Right. And I think, you know, we need to, you know, somehow, and I know Mind Body Green is trying to do that type of thing. And mm-hmm. I think the more we can create those type of forums, the better. Mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful way to end it. So even though I like to eat sort of paleo-ish, uh-huh. well, I'll make my peace with my vegan brother here. <laughs> We'll smoke the peace pipe, right. African but, style, South but, African. <laughs> but I, you know, I think it's crazy, yeah. Because we, I agree with you. I think we're all saying the similar things, and mm-hmm. people just get caught up with such dogma. It's absolute nonsense. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, I share what's what's worked for me, what's changed my life. Right. I don't, I don't, I don't have any judgment on anybody else's decision right. over that, and it's not my prerogative to tell anybody what they should or they shouldn't do. Um, I would like to put out a healthy message and try to help inspire people to Which you're doing. think about their health and their fitness. Right. In you're a doing it and way. you're doing a great and, job. Yeah. yeah. Well, so are you. You're an inspiration. <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. This you're a busy great. guy. Thanks. Thanks, Rich. So uh, I hope that our paths cross again soon. I'm sure they will. All right. So cool. Thank you okay. so much. Thank you. All right. Bye. Peace. Plants. All right, people, that's our show this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Frank was awesome. You want to learn more about Frank, go to his website, drfranklitman.com. You can find him on Twitter. You can find him on Facebook. Uh, you can find his Be Well products uh, as well through his website. You want to read his books. Again, they are called uh, Revive, Stop Feeling Spent and Start Living Again. And his second book is Total Renewal, Seven Key Steps to Resiliency, Vitality, and Long-Term Health. You can find those on Amazon. Just use the Amazon banner ad as your way to get there. You know how to do it. Want to learn more about plant-based nutrition? Check out our course, The Ultimate Guide to Plant-Based Nutrition. You can find that on mindbodygreen.com. 
three and a half hours of streaming video content and an online community and downloadable tools and everything you need to get more plants in your life, whether you've been eating plant-based for a long time or this is brand new to you and you're just trying to wrap your brain around it, it's a good place to start. Uh, it's a great program. We're proud of it. Uh, so check that out. We got swag at richworld.com. Uh, we have our vitamin B12 supplement and my uh, athletic recovery product, Chai Repair. And we got some other cool products there too. I'm not even going to tell you what. Just go check it out. Go to richworld.com and you will see for yourself. Um, what else? I think that's it. We're out of here. Uh, nothing left except to uh, leave a comment on the blog page. Tell us what you think about the show. Leave us a review on iTunes if you have a minute. That helps us out. And uh, again, tell a friend. Thanks for stopping by, you guys. Hope you dug it, and we'll see you next week. I'm out of here. Peace. Plants. Yeah.